Hi, I'm Maisie Perry. This is Kids These Days, a podcast all about teens, what we're thinking about, laughing about, and stressing about. The show is a collaboration between Michigan Radio and Community High School in Ann Arbor. And we just want to say right up front here, we know our experiences do not reflect all of America. We are a group of mostly white teenagers from a mostly white high school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we want to make it clear we are aware of our privilege. We are continuing to educate ourselves on what more we can do during this time. This podcast is just one small window into teen life. But wherever you are and wherever you're from, we hope this podcast will make you feel less alone. We've been thinking a lot about the state of the country, well, really the state of the world, in the past few weeks. And we think it makes sense to start with this poem by one of our classmates, Leah Dewey. I hesitate, yet the first word that comes to mind is despair. Merriam-Webster defines it as the utter loss of hope. Some say I'm too pessimistic. They say I'm a part of the problem. But how can I be hopeful? What is left to give me hope? The healthcare system is failing. The law enforcement system is failing. The judicial system is failing. Black people can't get access to good healthcare. Black people are killed by those who are supposed to protect us. Black people make up 13% of the U.S. population and 38% of the U.S. prison population. What hope is there in news headlines, life sentences, public vigils? What hope is there in bodies riddled with bullets, knees pinned down on necks, black skin turned purple by batons? What hope is there in stop shooting, I don't have a gun? What hope is there in I can't breathe? What hope is there for America, the free? For George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner. For every black human stripped of humanity. For every black life that is no longer living. For every black body that becomes just another dead body. I hope that as unrest fills the streets, your souls can rest in peace. I wrote that after police killed George Floyd in Minneapolis. I wrote it after they killed George Floyd and so many other black people in this country, as they have been doing for hundreds of years. Teens have been on the streets protesting, and for a lot of us, especially for black teens, this is a resounding cry fighting for our right to live and to live in peace. We're coming to you from Ann Arbor, a city that is steeped in whiteness. And I know the stuff I talk about with my family in my home is going to be different from what most of my classmates talk about in their homes. I'm mixed. My mom is black, white, and Arab, and my dad's white. We've been talking about race, my race, since forever. I remember in middle school when my mom sat me down to talk. It was after Michael Brown was shot and killed by police in Ferguson, Missouri. I have family in Missouri, and they knew Michael Brown. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I remember. This is my mom. Kelly Stuffel. I remember that I just wanted you to be aware of your surroundings at all times when you were out and about, and that to know that um, law enforcement sees black teenagers differently um, than they see white teenagers, especially um, when they're in groups and 
although I feel like, you know, maybe you could pass for white under certain circumstances. Um, a lot of your friends can't. And if you were out together, that you might be a target. I remember when you talked to me in middle school. And you warned me about police stopping me. I didn't really take it seriously because I didn't think these things could happen to me. I didn't think they were always news headlines for someone else. Yeah, and I guess I was hoping that because, you know, we're connected to Michael Brown through that family connection that maybe somehow that would bring it home for you. Also, the fact that he was a teenager, I was hoping that would make it maybe more real for you. Um, but perhaps you just weren't ready to take it in. I think you know now, though, that it's pretty serious and it could happen to you and it could happen to me. We've been having these talks my entire life about how to be a person of color in America. In sixth grade, it was about the police. In eighth grade, it was about how to react when someone stereotypes you. In 10th grade, it was about coping with ignorant relatives. In 11th grade, it was about the N-word. And the other day, it was about my cousin. My nephew, your cousin, was killed on April 30th of this year in a police-involved incident. And although the police have not been particularly forthcoming, and it was in the, the northern part of St. Louis County, which is where Michael Brown was also killed, I feel hopeful that maybe because this happened now that there will be more accountability in our own family's quest to find out what happened and how my nephew really died. I'm Black, and in America, that matters. I don't have the luxury of not talking about my race. To not talk about it could be fatal. 70% of Ann Arbor is white, so I know the talks in most of these houses here don't sound like mine. But still, I wanted to know, what do they sound like? A couple of teens in my class agreed to tape a conversation with their own moms. I think it's helpful in this moment to listen to what some of these conversations are like right now and to hear how they changed over time, to give us a window into what they are and are not talking about. First up is Lacey Cooper, a junior at my high school. She sat down with her mom, Jeannie. Let's listen. So how did your parents talk to you about race and what did those conversations look like? I would say it was almost entirely absent from my upbringing, any conversation about race. So as a person growing up in that household, how how did that affect you in the way that you looked at race? Um, I think I was slow to develop any sort of sense about 
other. Partially, as a kid, you're kind of self-absorbed anyway. When I got to campus, I went to Michigan State University, and when I got to campus, there were huge signs about diversity and people gathering based on race. My first reaction was actually to be, I was a little offended. I was a little bit put out, like, what? why do they have this? I, I just had no context. Um, what was that experience like for you um, as you kind of were experiencing these concepts and hearing about these experiences for the very first time? I think I initially felt really defensive. You know, what do you what do you mean? I'm not racist. I don't I never did any of those things. If, you know, someone was sharing experience, it wasn't until I think I had some really good classes on history, um, which maybe a little embarrassed to say really didn't come until college (laughs) that I began to kind of understand differently. And then also, you know, meeting people. I, I grew up in a very white town. So obviously exposure and beginning to listen and learn began my sort of slow progress to understand things completely differently. When was the first time we talked about my race and the concept of race was introduced to my siblings? I don't specifically remember using the word race, but we talked um, very early on with you um, about differences between people, but we talked more about um, diversity. Um, We think we phrased it more that way. Why have or haven't we talked about race and could we have talked about it more? Yeah, I mean, I think we've mostly talked about race specifically in regards to events that have happened. And I think maybe bad things that have happened to people based on their race, which maybe makes me wish (laughs) that we were talking about race, you know, in other ways, too. Maybe we do. But that's that's true. I feel like our family doesn't shy away from talking about issues that are often uncomfortable to talk about. Um, is there anything that you would do differently looking back? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe talking about race more specifically, I guess maybe not different, but more. Does that make sense? Sometimes I, I worry about that exposure, but then I feel like the risk is on the other side is not not talking about it, not noticing it, not knowing about it, not being exposed to it. Um, and so I guess that's that's a risk that, you know, I feel is worth taking, even though maybe sometimes my very young children hear things that I wish they didn't have to. So maybe this conversation sounds familiar to some of the talks you've had with your family. And maybe it really doesn't. These conversations can be different depending on who's having them and what experiences they bring to the table. Coming up after the break, a mother and daughter talk about racism, colorism, and privilege, and their family. Hey, it's Leah. Like I said before the break, there's no one way to have these talks, and it's pretty revealing to hear what gets included and what doesn't. Ty Torek is 17, and she thinks about race every day. She asked her grandma about growing up in the segregated South and how her great-great-grandfather was enslaved. But Ty has a light complexion, so the conversations she has about race look different from the conversations I've had at home. She sat down to talk about it with her mom, Stephanie Patterson. 
I don't think there was ever like a time when anybody sat me down and was like, you're black and you're white. And like, I think that's so weird because I don't know how it came, like how that knowledge, how I acquired that knowledge. I, you know, I don't really remember having actually, you know, the precise day or time, like saying you are African American, <laughs> you know, but over time, you know, once you guys start getting more out into the world and school and things like that, and then these things come up or these questions come up or you start, you know, that's when kids start noticing differences, right? And so... And it's kind of like, like, it feel, like being mixed, it feels like you're never really enough in the sense that, like, I never feel black enough to relate to everything that's going on right now in, like, the wake of George Floyd's death. Like, I will never experience police brutality in the same way that, like, my darker skin counterparts will. Yeah. And I will never truly f- be white enough or feel white enough to experience my life day-to-day without, like small little like nuances I guess like mm-hmm. one time somebody came up to me and like wiped my eyebrow and was like yeah you're not really black are you yeah. I was like are you trying yeah. to wipe away the blackness yeah. off my no. skin yeah. well that was first thing I mean no one has permission to touch anybody yeah <laughs> and then you know I mean but yeah, I mean, I would get the whole thing with the tan. Oh, I'm tanner than you. I must be, you know, that kind of stuff. And then like the, how dark you get when you're in the sun has nothing to do with my experience or anybody else's experience as a black person day to day, you know. So it's tiresome and burdensome to always have to you know, explain, like, explain myself. I'm like, well, why don't you read this or read history or whatever? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know. Do you think that we talk about race, like, enough? I, I've been thinking a lot about, like, well, you know, what kind of job have, have I done for you? You know, it's like, I, I wonder, I always wonder, like, well, did we equip you well enough or, you know, or did we help you, you know, in your own kind of sense of self? I mean, I feel like I'll always be insecure about, like, my identity mm-hmm. just because, like, I mean, like, no matter how many books I read, no matter how many, like, diverse friends I had, I always felt, like, inherently, like, lesser than just because, like, I either didn't look like my white friends, I didn't look like my mixed friends, or I didn't look like my black friends. I have had to go out of my way to learn about race, and I don't think that's necessarily your fault. I think that's, like, school curriculum Mm -hmm. and so I think that if I didn't have that initial curiosity or grow up in a space where like we've all been willing to talk about our experiences that I wouldn't like be able to learn as much as I have but it just kind of sucks that you have to go out of your way to learn about things yeah but I think like I think about race every day so it's like I you kind of It's hard not to. I mean, it's really hard not to. As a black person in America, it's something you have to think about. For a lot of us, these conversations aren't new. But something feels like it's shifting, especially for my non-black friends. People are talking about it differently and on a national scale. And even though these talks, these conversations about systemic racism aren't new, the air feels different. (laughs) 
I've been going to protests in Ann Arbor, and the other day I went to a youth-led protest. There were maybe 60 people there, and the crowd was quite multiracial. I was curious about, you know, why now? Why are young people coming out now to protest? Is the shift that I'm sensing real? So I asked a bunch of the people attending about why they were there. Well, I think we're the future, so it means a lot for us to use our voice and have a voice and know the things that are going on and be able to inform people of the things that are going on. Like, this is the world we have to live in now, so we have to take over in order to be in a world that we want to live in or that we accept living in. My parents have been, like, telling me about this and the injustices that black people have gone through every day for my whole life, and so I think that it's really important to like show my support and help in, a, in any way that I can. Really. I feel like, in general, I feel like human rights is human rights and the color of your skin doesn't define who you are. You know, we're just trying to showcase that black lives do matter and we're not saying that all lives don't matter, but until black lives matter, all lives cannot matter, so. We also ran into Davion Pipkins at the protest. He's 19. He had gone to one of the Detroit protests a few days earlier where he says police beat, handcuffed, and ticketed him. We asked the Detroit Police Department for a comment. A spokesperson says they weren't aware of the incident until we told them about it. She says they plan to launch an investigation. I can't even look like at the police uh, like at the same or anything like that. Like I never did kind of, but like it's just a different like you get PTSD. Like when even when I see the lights, it's just a different sign of it, you know? So it's just this is how I'm just dealing with it, I guess. He's still out here protesting. His mom, she's worried sick about him. Yet Davion says he still feels an obligation to be here. Something needs to change, and we're going to get a change either way if we got to do this every day, you know? So that's why I keep coming out. Like, everybody's voice needs to be heard. Everybody needs to use their voice. It took Minneapolis police eight minutes and 46 seconds to kill George Floyd. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. And we've been out here, teenagers, ever since, because this cannot continue. Police brutality, systemic racism, white privilege, none of this is new. This is an old story. A 400-year-old story. But like I said, something about now feels different. Maybe it's social media. It's hard to ignore what's happening when you scroll through video after video of police brutality. Maybe it's because the older generations are failing us and we have to be out here to advocate for ourselves. Maybe it's because black Americans are dying of COVID-19 at twice the rate of white people. Maybe it's because the pandemic has just made everyone stir crazy. I don't know. But when I look around at the youth out here protesting alongside me, maybe it's that our generation's the generation that's gonna smash all this to the ground and help build it back up into something, something better than this. Next time on the podcast, millions of teens are stuck at home because of COVID-19. So far, I've had four dance parties, three mental breakdowns. It kind of feels like the world is ending. One teen shares what life is like for her during quarantine. 
Kids These Days is a collaboration between Community High School in Ann Arbor and Michigan Radio. Kids These Days is made by us, teens, and so is the music and artwork. Reporting for this episode by Lacey Cooper, Ty Torek, Jordan Depadova, Sai Veyu, and Leah Dewey. Jordan Depadova and Max Steiger wrote our theme song. Mia Goldstein created our logo. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Rachel Ishikawa is the senior producer. Jennifer Guerra is the executive producer. Bob Scon is our engineer. This episode was edited by Rachel Ishikawa, Jennifer Guerra, and Sarah Hewlett. Special thanks to Michigan Radio's Zoe Clark, Vince Duffy, Jody Westrick, Emma Winnewicki, Paulette Parker, Katie Raymond. And special thanks to our teacher, Tracy Anderson. I'm Maisie Perry. See you next time. <laughs>